Welcome to day four of the ColbyCast convention, episode 112. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by ColbyCast regulars Everett Bayarski, Elizabeth Hoxie, and Therese Prudlow to discuss the Ignatian principle of cura personalis, or the care of the whole person. From the principle itself to how it is applied in everything done at Colby, I think you'll find the discussion of this core principle of Colby Academy to be insightful and helpful. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. every Colby Academy course plan page, and in the signature of many Colby employees' emails are the letters AMDG, Ad Maiorum Dei Gloriam, a phrase which is also the finale of every ColbyCast episode and probably familiar to many of our listeners as the motto of St. Ignatius of Loyola, AMDG, for the greater glory of God. Our ColbyCast convention continues today with a deep dive into one of the pillars of Colby Academy's approach, that of forming the whole person through the Ignatian method with the ultimate goal of every student finding salvation in Jesus Christ. Stephen and I are joined by some familiar voices, Everett Vyarski, Colby's Academic Services Director, Elizabeth Hoxie, Dean of Students for Grades 6 through 8, and an Instructor of Science and Theology, and Therese Prudlow, History Department Chair and Instructor. Hello, all of you, and welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you for having us. It's good to see you guys. This episode is airing during our week-long convention of sorts with episodes crafted to help families understand Colby Academy's apostolate better with conversations about the various aspects of the Colby way, along with food for thought about the decision to homeschool in the first place and how Colby can help accomplish that in a variety of ways. If you haven't already subscribed to the Colby cast in your favorite app, doing so will result in easy access to all our convention episodes and the rest of our catalog. Let's take a minute to catch up with these cast members. Therese was a part of our conversation on Colby's history and literature sequence earlier in the convention. Thanks for joining us again, Therese. Thank you for having me, Bonnie. It's great. It's always great to come and talk to you all. It's always a pleasure to, to converse with you. Everett is one of our go-tos around here. Everett, thanks for being here today. I love it. Always great to be back and chat with you about the exciting things we've got going on. Wonderful. Elizabeth is back with us now, fully ensconced in her role as Dean for the middle school. So far, so good there, Elizabeth? Are so good. Looking forward to a great school year. Good deal. All right, so let's dig into this topic of formation of the whole person. What does that mean? All right, well, I am happy to get us started here. I think uh, we need to back up a little bit first, though, and talk maybe about the overall framework that we get this care for the whole person from. So there are some underlying principles in an Ignatian education, um, and they begin with the idea that the role of the teacher is not just to inform the students. So we're not just there to kind of shove their heads full of as much knowledge as possible. But the Ignatian perspective is that the role of the teacher is not just to inform, but to help the student progress in the truth, the truth of God. And so the principles of an Ignatian education is here for the whole person for a personalis, which is our topic for today. But the other pillars of an Ignatian education are Um, magis, which is probably the toughest to define, but I think generally it refers to making the better choice or meeting the greater need, not because it's the hardest thing to do, but because those choices yield the greatest fruit. Um, Ad maiorum dei gloriam, for the greater glory of God that you already mentioned, it's it's all over our (laughs) our Colby curriculum and in our emails and so on and so forth. So everything that we do as teachers, and then hopefully for our students as well. Everything that we do is for the glory of God. Um, Another pillar is forming men and women for others. And and that really ties in, I think, to why we need Ignatian education to begin with. Um, Bonnie's going to put a couple of documents in the show notes, but um, I just want to quote from one in particular, which is Ignatian pedagogy, a practical approach. And uh, the authors talk about why we need education education and they talk about you know looking at the history of of education um we see that education in itself is uh is as i say we we are beginning to realize that education does not inevitably humanize or christianize people in society 
Um, we're losing faith in the naive notion that all education, regardless of its quality or thrust of purpose, will lead to virtue. Increasingly, then it becomes clear that if we in Jesuit education, or as with just an Ignatian framework, are to exercise a moral force in society, we must insist that the process of education takes place in a moral as well as an intellectual framework. And so I think, um, you know, the, the overarching goal of Ignatian education is to form men and women who are for others. And so that ties with, in with the, the last two pillars, uh, the unity of mind, heart, and soul, and then educating agents of change. St. Ignatius says in his spiritual exercises that, that love is expressed in deeds and not in words. So again, if we are just uh, filling our students' heads with knowledge, but we are not giving them the virtue formation and the, and the moral foundation to go out into the world and to be agents of change and to express the love of God and love of neighbor in deeds and not just in words, then in a lot of ways we failed as educators. So those are the pillars of an Ignatian education and um, pro-personalist care for the whole person is one of those overarching principles and, and themes in Ignatian education. Okay, so how did this come to be a part of, of the Colby Way? Yeah, that goes back to the really the very founding uh, of Colby with the three families, um, the Muths, the Cardis, and the Cortesis, uh, and each of them had some specific things they were bringing to the founding um, of this this new school, this new venture. And, and Fran Crotty in particular was the one who was really driving a lot of the educational philosophy. And so as he was uh, making some decisions, he had some ties to, uh, well, the University of San Francisco and um, their program that they had going on, um, which had some ties back to uh, Kansas University and John Senior, which is a, kind of, you can trace pretty much everything related to Catholic uh, classical education in the United States back there. But as he was looking at it, so he had these ties and the University of San Francisco um, is run by Jesuits. Um, and so they had this classical program, uh, but it's a classical program at a Jesuit university. And so there was the, the influences of there as well. And so that kind of what, what led him to, to bring these two strands uh, into the philosophy of this new school that he was founding. Uh, but specifically, he's, he, when he speaks about this, he uses the term Ignatian education as opposed to Jesuit education because he's really looking to go back to the roots of what was the intention of St. Ignatius of Loyola and those early Jesuits in, in putting this together. And I think it's valuable to us to, uh, anytime we're talking certainly about classical education, going back to the roots is a good thing for us to do. And so I think it's useful to go back there to think about what is happening at the time of St. Ignatius. So he's um, there in, in the 16th century. Uh, he's been through this, really this incredible conversion story of how he went from this desire to be a, a noble soldier to being a soldier for Christ and what that looked like. Um, and then he went off to uh, the University of Paris, um, the, the Dominicans running it, uh, had this great education there, met his companions and eventually founded this order uh, and had this desire to go out. He, they wanted to go out. They wanted to just share the gospel, to spread the gospel, to be soldiers for Christ. Um, but one of the things they, they figured out really early on was, and probably connected to that, that Dominican education received at the University of Paris, was they needed to have well-educated priests. Um, and so they they weren't initially intended to be a teaching order that that wasn't really high on his list of things that he wanted to do, but, but he realized that to do the ultimate end for him to preach the gospel to to go out to the ends of the earth, he had to have the best educated priests possible. And so that this began a, a process of creating these documents of formation of how do we uh, train and form young men to become the kind of priests that the Jesuits wanted to have. And so that results in the creation of um, what is today called the Ratio Studiorum, uh, the Course of Studies, which is kind of the organizational documents for um, education, uh, the constitutions that are going on there. But really keeping in mind that the end of all of that was, there's this whole plan of education was, how do we form these men so that they can go out? Uh, one of the things that I think was, was really valuable is, for example, he wanted them to be well-educated because he wanted them to, be able to learn languages, because he wanted them to be able to go wherever they go, whether it's to, to India, to China, to Japan, uh, to North America, that they're going to be able to pick up the languages of the people there locally so that they can then share the gospel in their own languages. Um, so he had this brilliant idea of, of borrowing from local cultures to try and integrate things together. And that again, that integrated aspect goes back to the classical pieces. So thinking about the, the notion, uh, as Elizabeth was just talking about, the importance of formation was that it isn't just 
intellectual formation. That's a big part of it is intellectual formation, certainly. But the, the strands of personal formation and of human formation so that they can be not just strong minds, but strong bodies, strong souls, so that they are well prepared as an entire person to be able to accomplish um, you know, what, what they're seeking to do. No, and I think that's so important, Everett. I like how you went back and, and talked about the history, uh, you know, the, the, the basis of the Ignatius method itself, because I think something we have to keep in mind is he did such a great job at bringing it together at an important time, but he had built himself on what had come before with the scholastics and before that. And, you know, it's again, you know, that classical liberal arts education, it's building on building on what came before uh, and forming that whole person. And, you know, at the time when he's doing this, you he, also have to look at what he's fighting, right? We, we've had the Protestant Reformation and this whole idea that the individual is more important than the whole. You know, during the Middle, middle Ages, it was all about the community. It was all about working together as Catholics, as Christians. And, you know, you knew that there was time for leisure. You knew that there was time for rest. I mean, the uh, feast days and the order of the church and how things worked, it, it required that sort of forming of the whole person in a sort of a natural sense. During the Reformation, during the time of um, Luther and Calvin, you had that push away, anything sort of natural, anything physical. And, and this led into other issues and other problems. Um, and I think it was very foresightful of, you know, St. Ignatius, he sees this, he sees the issue at hand. He sees that his, um, his young, the young men joining his order need to be, as you said, very well educated um, so they can go out and preach, they can go out to all their places, but he's rooting them historically in that old way of that entire person is met, right? That's, that was what he learned from the Dominicans at the University of Paris, that it's, mind, soul, body, you must pray, you must work, you must study, and you must reflect on those things. You have to have quiet time to reflect on those things. And that was going to be incredibly important to these young men when they went off, especially as missionaries, to places where they had never encountered um, uh, Christianity before. It's going to be very, very important. But again, it's that forming the whole person. It's not just sitting in studying and just reading the books and memorizing texts. It's, it, there's a whole person that needs to be formed by all of these things together and rest and reflection is, it can be part of that. And I think it's really critical to, to keep in mind that when we're talking about Ignatian education and what the, what St. Ignatius Lilla was, was up to, that we can't, we can't ever separate it from the spirituality piece that there's, there's Ignatian education, there's Ignatian spirituality, but the two go hand in hand, that you can't have Ignatian education without having Ignatian spirituality. And so to talk about one without the other just doesn't fit. So I think this is where, where I, like I mentioned, first of all, certainly the spiritual exercises. Um, as Teresa was just talking about the importance of, of quiet, the spiritual exercises are designed as um, based on a month-long silent retreat on which you're going to be meditating upon the scriptures, first on, on man's sinfulness and our need for redemption, and then on uh, the incarnation, the life of Christ, and then the passion death of Christ and the resurrection. So there's this intense, deeply structured spiritual, they're called the exercises because they're, they're going to be a challenge to work through. They're going to be exercises. They're going to help you grow spiritually as a result of that. But at the beginning of that, uh, he leads off with, with what's called the principle and foundation. Uh, and it's a little bit long, but I think it's worth us was hearing and remembering because this, this principle and foundation drives the exercises, but it's also driving the entire projects that Ignatius and companions are working on. The human person is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by doing so to save his or her soul. All other things on the face of the earth are created for human beings in order to help them pursue the end for which they are created. It follows from this that one must use other created things insofar as they are helped towards one's end and free oneself from them insofar as they are obstacles to one's end. To do this, we need to make ourselves indifferent to all created things, provided the matter is subject to our free choice and there is no other prohibition. Thus, as far as we are concerned, we should not want health more than illness, wealth more than poverty, fame more than disgrace, a long life more than a short one, and similarly for all the rest, but we should desire and choose only what helps us more towards the end for which we are created. And I think that's just a beautiful statement that's 
it's it's at the beginning of the 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 exercises at the principle and foundation but that statement is driving everything that ignatius is trying to accomplish um both in the exercises and in the, the method of education uh, in, the, in the ratio studio on this laid out and I think there's some important pieces in there. You see the word end in there is several times. Uh, and I can't help but thinking that sort of thing is, is, is that language is going back to that scholastic um, education that he received. The, the notion of, of ends of, you know, what we have, we have immediate ends. It's, it's a tying back to Aristotle's causes, right? We, we have um, different ends of things that are created, but he's focusing on, you know, what are we created for? What are we trying to accomplish here in doing this? Um, and the end for which we are created ultimately is union with God in heaven. Um, so that's the, the goal of the spiritual exercises and the goal of the nation education is ultimately about union with God in heaven. Now that's the, the our, our ultimate goal. We have proximate goals. We have immediate goals. Our immediate goals are forming the person now uh, here on this earth so that they can be a part of spreading the gospel to to all ends but again the notion so Ignatian spirituality is challenging it has a clear mission and vision um and it is structured and laid out uh and the the ratio storiorum the the schedule the plan of studies the course of studies for Ignatian education is similar it is deeply methodical um, as far as what it's trying to do is that that education should not be scattershot. Um, it, this isn't an approach where we just do a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and, and mix it all together and hope it works out, but that there should be a plan of what you're trying to accomplish um, over time. So uh, when you're looking at what does Colby do and how do we do it, that's one of the big pieces is there should be a plan from, from beginning to end of how are we trying to um, move from one stage to another stage to another stage so that we can take students along that path of formation. Um, another key feature is the feature of repetition. Um, one of the uh, my favorite Jesuits, the, the president of Gonzaga University, when I was there, uh, over and over again, repetitio est mater studiorum, that repetition is the mother of learning or the mother of study, was something that, that he would always say very commonly at his homily's father, uh, Spitzer, Robert Spitzer. Uh, and then, then finally, going back to, again, that the notion of formation is focus on formation of the faculties of the soul, that the soul has faculties, the mind has faculties. We have the, the memory, so we want to focus on memory, so there's a focus on memorization, um, but there's also a focus on imagination, on taking all that is around us um, to have it included in our, in our minds, to give us objects to, to, to think about, to draw connections between, uh, and then the intellect and the will. Uh, which are certainly are probably the, the two more well-known is the formation of the intellect but also the formation of the will and this is when we talk about uh formation and wisdom and in virtue um this is what we're looking at is the formation of the intellect and the formation of the will um and so those are the kind of the, some of the key aspects that as you're looking at our philosophy of education what we're trying to accomplish those are some of the key pieces of, of things that you're going to see um, as we kind of go throughout i love that quotation because i was i was going to ask well whole person but i hear a lot of talk about education and the spiritual life but it's like well but there's you know we're we're animals we're physical things so, so but that really helped to for me to clarify okay well we're going to focus on the ends we're going to focus on what's proper to man as an as an animal is his i mean his intellect and then his will so the the understanding of things and then the loving of of those highest things but then how saint ignatius kind of says well just but then you have to use, you know, so whether it's eating or not eating or whether it's exercise or not, ex you, know, you know, that body sort of thing, it comes out more for me and boys when I'm thinking about educating here. But it's like they need exercise. They need sleep. They need to eat. Otherwise, those things aren't doing those higher things, doing the, the, the memorizing, doing the learning, doing the loving become very difficult, you know? So, so I, I like the quotation because it brought all that together. Not that those are the most important things, but you use them or not as is needed. So that, that helped to, I, I was going to ask a question, but you answered it before, before I could, uh, could ask it. I think you're right, Stephen. It aids the whole person, right? It's, it's all these things. And again, it's everything together. We're not just our minds. We're not just our bodies. It's all together. I think that's really great. And one of the things that drew me to Colby as a first as a mom um, was this uh, method of looking at the whole person and and such. And that all of our classes do that. And we especially see this. I mean, we see it. I, I was just thinking my era of Christendom class. You know, we're talking about the Ignatian method, but everything that's led up before to that 
uh, you know, we are, we're learning about create, you know, uh, supporting the whole person spiritually, physically, making sure the kids are, you know, we, we have homeroom classes for them to go in and to relax in. We have their science classes. We're learning about the body and about health classes, which I know um, Elizabeth's going to talk about in a minute. She does such a fantastic job with here, you know, our math classes. We learn about the wonders of the world. I mean, we're forming the whole person and then giving the the students time to go out and reflect about that and hopefully the families as well. I love that both Therese and Everett alluded to this primacy of rest in an education education. I, um, I've been teaching for Colby for nine years now, but I think I for a long time had just kind of a superficial knowledge of what an education education is. And um, two years ago when I was still acting as the science department chair, I really was motivated to dig deeper and take a look at get, just getting back to the roots of how all of this started, um, because we as teachers and uh, you know the rest of the world as well, we're, we're so burnt out and, and tired and exhausted um, by living in a pandemic world. And, and so one of the things that I thought was really uh, beautiful is that St. Ignatius thought it was so important for retreat houses to go along with schoolhouses, so that um, not just the priests, but also the lay educators would have a place to, to rest and to retreat. Um, one of the things that really struck me about Kerr Personalis in particular, as I was just learning for myself really, is that Kerr Personalis, Care for the Whole Person, fits in really well with the works of mercy, um, which sounds kind of funny in an online environment. I can't feed my students cookies or give them a glass of milk, although I wish I, I sure wish I could. <laughs> but the opportunities to care for the personhood of each student moment to moment in my classroom are really almost limitless. Um, for example, there, there are inevitably a few students who are painfully shy. That was me <laughs> all through my school years. And so turning on the webcam or answering a question is kind of low level torture for those students, which I certainly sympathize with. But as the teacher, I'm mindful of the vulnerability that those students feel, the, the nakedness, if you will. And so my, um, my intention is to clothe those students with encouragement, clothe them by creating a classroom environment in which it's okay to fail, um, clothe them by giving opportunities to build confidence. And in doing that, I'm caring for the whole person of that student. Um, and we could go on and on about that. I mean, uh, teachers are feeding the hungry pro by providing them with really meaty and challenging course content. And we pray for the living and the dead at a, the start of every class when students share their intentions and so on. So this whole person education is concerned with forming the students, not just academically, but totally. We want our students to be rooted and grounded in their identity that they're made in the image and likeness of God um, and form them as men and women who are, are for others in the world. That is so true, and, and it translates really well to the families, I think, that are homeschooling as well. You know, you, as, as the, the primary educator, whether you be the mom or the dad or the grandparents, you know, you, you want, you do that, right? You're feeding them, you're educating them, you're reading to them. Um, even if you're sending them off to school, you're still doing all of those things it's natural for us. I mean, we talk about doing this, but all of these are formed in, in the way our nature um, lends itself to it very easily. And this is why it's so, it's so uh, good to be um, expressed and to be uh, shared with others, such as the um, early Jesuits did when they went out on missionary work. You know, the, it, people took to it because it's natural. It's a natural way for us to to be. It's unnatural for us to work, you know, constantly on a time clock. It's unnatural for us to say our main focus is just to um, gain monetary things and values. It, that Those are not natural to us. That these are, it's, it's a very... Um, it's very part of who we are created in the image and likeness of God, um, which I'm so glad you, you brought that up because that's something we're always talking about uh, with my students, you know, that when people looked at each other as they were created in the image and likeness of God, things went much smoother, right, throughout history. Um, often they don't, which is why they, you know, they don't go smoothly. But um, but when they do, you know, that's it's so important because that, it's it would seem to be that it's in our, you know, that's what God gave us is to, to have those times of learning and reflection and care, food, 
sleep, exercise. These are these are natural things that we need to focus on with our kids. I think uh, getting into these principles of Ignatian education was really an examination of conscience for me. Um, you know, care for the whole person is not just something that we are doing for our students. It's also something that we should be cultivating in ourselves. I think, you know, as um, just in the couple of months of, of being the dean of students, I have been a lot more on the parent and family side, and I see parents laboring so hard <laughs> for their students, for their children, and I get emails in the middle of the night with questions about um, helping special needs students and that sort of thing. And I, I just see the the love and the labor that parents are giving to their to their children. Um, and we as teachers do the same. We we care deeply for our students. I think we have to be reminded sometimes that we also need to care for ourselves, care for our, our bodies, care for our spiritual, mental, emotional health, and all of that. Um, and so it was a little bit of a wake-up call to me that uh, I need I need to take time for rest. Um, I need to not neglect my own health. Um, the charity that I show to my students, I also need to show to myself. Uh, love, love your neighbor as yourself begins with the, <laughs> the, the idea that you love yourself well, um, or you can't love your neighbor well. Um, so taking times for, for recreation and for rest. And also discernment is really key to Ignatian spirituality, um, discerning uh, the boundaries that I establish um, with, with my work life, uh, discerning boundaries that I establish for my family so that I can really truly be serving God and not just being a, not being a workaholic, <laughs> um, working for the greater glory of God. It's, it seems like as, I, as you're speaking about this, it just seems to me that homeschooling is such a lovely way of implementing this just you know both my wife and i work at home right now and so our kids are here and we homeschool so our kids are here we're here and i see more now than i did when i worked outside of the home how all of this is just kind of occurring i mean you do it almost reactionally or instinctively maybe both because you start out you know you got to feed the kids you got to get them to bed you've got to do these things and you build these routines well when something starts to get so here's the reflective thing. Something's starting to get out of out of whack. Like um, the kids are staying up too late, and then they they're sleeping, and then they're slow to get the chores done and get to get to work. So you say, okay, well let's let's dial that back. Let's let's do these things. Let's and at home at least you have the freedom, more freedom. If you, I mean, again, when you reflect and say, boy, we're just packing our days full of things. There's no time for for prayer there's no time for quiet any longer then you say okay let's change our schedule you're i guess it's because you're in control as well i mean as parents you you don't have to go check with the school district or something something to say we need, i need my kids out an extra hour and a half earlier for the next three weeks you're not going to get anywhere with that but you're at home you're in control so it's i see that it's kind of a natural in homeschooling, it's, it's something that can be naturally achieved if there's a little bit of discipline and a bit of reflection, it seems like. That's funny. It reminds me, I was reading a, it was a blog um, a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about make, make time to intentionally be home because so many of us are on the go so much. Be, make time to just be home, be quiet. Um, and like you said, Elizabeth, that, you know, um, I read this article, it was, it was a secular article. Um, I always find it intriguing, these secular articles lately, especially from the scientific standpoint, they're saying, oh, did you happen to know that being kind to others and yourself is is healthier for you? It's like, yes, yes, I, I, I had heard that somewhere. Hmm, where had I heard that before? But, um, you know, that art, art of kindness that for others is so important, but also for yourself, and for your family and say, what is going to be good for our family right now? Maybe it's just saying, okay, you know what? We're not doing anything tonight. We're going to stay in. We're going to make dinner together. We're going to clean the kitchen together. We're going to talk. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry or whatever we need to do and just take that, that time. And then it's okay to also say, all right, does everyone need quiet time in their corners? Does everyone go to their corners and have their little bit of quiet time? Yeah. <laughs> we always like to say that. Uh, it always seems in our house Sunday afternoon is okay. Everyone's has is in their quiet corners for a, for a few minutes, and and it's reflective whether they're reading, whether they're they're 
playing with Legos or they're doing a puzzle, getting catching up on homework. Yeah, that quiet, reflective time. Yeah, I, it's it's so much better to be proactive like that. I as you as we're, I'm thinking about this, I think thinking about the occasions where my youngest is just exploding in the afternoon, and then we one of the first things now we ask is what did you have for lunch? Mm -hmm. It's like, I didn't eat lunch. It's like, well, it's now two o'clock in the afternoon and you're tired and hungry. Yeah, there's an explanation for why the behavior isn't ideal right now. And so, sorry, we didn't get you lunch and you didn't get lunch for yourself, but uh, let's go do that now. And then we'll reset. And But getting him lunch at noon would, would also kind of just remove those problems we're going to fall. So proactive would be good. Being hangry is a real thing. <laughs> Yes, definitely. I think we tend to think of caring for ourselves as something that will just sort of happen, uh, maybe by accident. But really, I think what we're coming around to is that it takes a tremendous amount of discipline and intentionality to really care for the whole person, for ourselves, for our families, for our students um, in a way that's consistent and takes into account the, the body and the soul and the um, and the academics and the education and the intellect and all of that, we, we really need a plan for life in our own homes and in our classrooms in order for care for the whole person to happen in those places. And I just want to jump off, you know, a couple of people mentioned things, you know, you, you talk about reading articles in, in the secular journals and the scientific journals or whatnot. And that had me thinking back a little bit. One of the, the pieces that really stuck out about uh, Ignatius' approach to both spirituality and education was uh, the recognition, you heard of that a little bit in that Stone Foundation, was the recognition that good is of God wh wherever it happens to come from. If something is is true and it's good, it is of God, even if it's coming from a source that maybe wouldn't normally be a, a great place to look for truth. Um, you know, If there is an insight there that, that is valuable, that is true, that it's of God. And so the, the aspect of that as, as seeking to look out around you to find the areas of good that we can recognize uh, in others, in, in what's going on in, in their culture, in their society, in their, their, and finding ways to then use those, to use the good that is present in whatever the situation might be. So if we are able to, you know, be reading articles from some of these secular sources and see that there's good there, well, we should certainly take that good for ourselves. But we should also, if you have an opportunity to, is we, we may have friends and family who, if I tried to give them an article talking about the cure personalis and why, um, you know, why Sadie Ignatius says it's good to take care of your person, they're, they're just, they're not going to read that, um, right? But if I give them a secular article that has, it's basically the same thing, um, it has the same truth embedded in it, and I give that to them, they are going to read that. And so that was one of the, I think the great insights that Ignatius had in evangelization was, was find the good, uh, because you can find the same good in many different places, but find the one that's going to resonate with the people that you're trying to convert. Um, and so again, that's why, why, why were Jesuits at the forefront of evangelization around the world? It's because they were capable of doing that, is they could go out into different um, societies. And again, I, you know, for me, the, the big one is here in North America, that they could come into the, the different communities in North America and, and speak to those peoples and say, okay, well, well, you know, talk to me about what your experience of the spiritual is, and then take the little bits of truth out of the, the community's uh, experience of spirituality, then say, ah, yes, you know, what you're talking about, that's this part, that's the small part of this larger picture of what the Catholic Church is talking about. And they can use those as, as inroads, as ways to, to, to get in and to work with that. And so I think that's where, um, whether it be the, the ideas of rest, because it, as you say, it's amazing how you, you run into all of these uh, these pieces, the people say have this brand new discovery that they've just discovered something amazing. You say, "Well, congratulations, good job." That's, yep, uh, yep. that's correct. But but using that, we can. That's an opportunity for us that we can can use that and say, "Ah, you know, that is a great insight." Did you also know that X Y Z? Because there's 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 absolutely in there. There are always connections to be made from there. If there's there is no such thing as as goodness or truth. Um, that is separate from other goodness and truth. You can't just, this is a, a goodness of truth that's just on its own over here and there are no connections to it. There are always connections. Um, and so that's one of the things that the, the, the importance of an, an integrated curriculum, for example, is going to help to draw out pieces of what's going on there. It's, and it's going to draw out both the academic connections, but also hopefully all of those personal connections of helping people to see what's going on there. And that's why for him, it was so important to form not just the intellect and the will, 
um, which was a, the, kind of the hallmarks of scholastic education is forming the intellect and the will, but also to form the memory and the imagination is so that we would have all of our lives experiences would be formed into our memory would be a part of what we have available to us to help make those connections. And then, then we could use the imagination to to enter into some of those memories to to be able to maybe re-experience them, to, to relive them, um, certainly to allow God into them was a big part of the spiritual exercises. So that we could, the, all of those pieces would, would help us to, to make those connections that I can say, okay, there was this experience that I had. Um, I can use my imagination and see this thing that you're talking about is like the experience I had, because I can reconfigure my own memory based using my imagination to, to help match it up to what's going on in the situation. Um, and so that's why it's so important. It, 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 the intellect and the will are, are central to what we're doing here. Um, but the additional insight that Ignatian education offers is that piece. Um, above and beyond the, the kind of the classical education it is is what's going on with students' memory and what's going on with their imagination. And that's why it's so important to be careful about what we are giving our, our students and ourselves as inputs. Um, because if we are taking bad inputs in, those things are entering into our, our memory. Then those are becoming a part of the things that then will be uh, affecting our imagination. And so we're actually going to be stunting our memory and our imagination if we're giving ourselves bad inputs. Uh, and so that's one of the, one of the reasons we want to be giving students the best is so that the things that are going into the memory are going to be, those are going to be the objects of, of future interaction are going to be based on those things that have entered into the memory. No, I think that's really important. I mean, and we, we see that throughout history and Ignatius was so good at, at pulling that all together, pulling all that together um, in his method. Uh, you know, when you would go out historically, you know, and you would go and convert, you never tore down the temples. No, you rebuilt them and used them because this is what the people knew and you turned them into churches and you turned them into places where they worship God. Finding the good, finding the good. I, I, I love that. Um, and using and giving them good examples. That's why we study ancient Greeks and the Romans here. I mean, what, you know, what better examples of things um, that happened throughout human history? I know we, we talked about this a few days ago um, when we talked about ancient Greece. But I, I think having those examples and that imagination is so important. And I want to tie this back a little bit to what Elizabeth was talking about as well, to set up those systems in place, which, because I, I think that's it's really important. You know, Ignatian method, I mean, St. Ignatius, he set up the system in place. And I think, uh, I think Elizabeth, you were talking about this, making those systems, making the time. Sometimes, sometimes we can't just let it happen, but we have to set aside that time. I saw, I heard something someone was saying once or said, do something today that tomorrow self will say, oh, thank you for doing that <laughs> for me, because now I can be quiet and reflect the next morning, you know, because I set the system in place to do that, whether it's, I'm, I'm going to clean my kitchen before I go to bed tonight. No matter what happens, the kitchen is going to be clean because when I get up tomorrow, tomorrow, Teresa is going to be super excited that, oh, wow, my kitchen's clean. I'm going to go make my coffee. I can start my day. I'm going to be refreshed from when my kids get up. I'm refreshed from my husband is getting ready to go to work and I can talk to them and I can, you know, I can be present there for them. You know, those systems are really important and it's okay to, to make those systems. Do you have any sort of... Um, uh, tips on that, Elizabeth. I know you, you do so many great things in your health class. Uh, you're talking to the kids about, you know, how to care for themselves. Uh, I mean, we spend, we really spend a whole semester in health class talking about caring for oneself um, and caring for others and what that looks like. I was just yesterday watching a study skills video, video from, um, from Ms. Finnegan, which is gold. Uh, about an about an hour long, and all of it was gold. But one of the things that she mentioned, um, and I think this really goes along so well with with everything we've talked about so far, is just the simple idea that what you attend to, what you give your attention to, is what occupies your memory. And and Everett alluded to this as well. You know, what we take in is what fills fills our our minds, but also our bodies. And so I think, um, you know, something that my, my own family, we just have to constantly be evaluating is what are we attending to? What are we giving our time and our energy and our attention to? And is that bearing fruit in our family life in the way that we want it to? And if not, 
what needs to be adjusted? What, what should we be attending to so that we can see the fruits that we're desiring in our family life? Um, so that's kind of like our, our, uh, our measure for discernment in, in what, we, what activities we choose to participate in or how we kind of schedule, we homeschool as well. So how we schedule our homeschooling day, what are we giving our attention to so that we are bearing fruit in, in the way that, um, that God intends us to in our family life? Uh, and I think that's that's a pretty probably a pretty easy measure, um, easy to evaluate, maybe not easy to implement for our students as well. What am I giving attention to, and how is that bearing fruit? So for the student, you know, um, am I sitting in class and giving my attention to my teacher, or am I sitting in class and giving my attention to Facebook or social media or whatever? And what fruit is that bearing in my life? Like just looking at that kind of cause and effect, I think is such a, a good starting point for developing the, the discipline and the schedule and the framework um, for our day-to-day life. I really love that Everett um, was talking about, you know, finding the good in all things that really resonates with me as a science teacher. Towards the end of the school year in health class, we were talking about neurological development, um, beginning in utero and then going through all the different uh, stages of infancy and early childhood and so on. Um, and one of the things we were learning is that with seven-year-olds or seven, seven, eight, somewhere in there, uh, there's this big brain remodeling that happens and children come out of that brain remodeling with increased cognitive functions, especially uh, in terms of their judgment and decision-making abilities. And I said to my students, you know, does that sound like a little bit familiar, like something that you might have heard of before? <laughs> and they said, oh yeah, the age of reason. So the church has traditionally defined age seven as the age, age of reason. And so it's just neat to see those connections between, oh, the brain science is showing this. And then it fits in so well with something that's been just a tradition of the church. And, um, you know, I love that. I think an Ignatian education uh, is, is based on this idea. St. Ignatius says in his spiritual exercises that God is present in our life and God is laboring for us. And so God can be, dis- God is not hiding from us. He can be discovered in the lived experiences of each person, uh, in history, and the radical goodness of creation. And so an Ignatian whole person pedagogy is is mindful of um, the creative and imaginative instincts of our students. And it really is an appeal to beauty. And so it just goes hand in hand so well with our classical approach to education um, is this appeal to beauty. And um, so an Ignatian education really approach, uh, emphasizes this approach to creation that uh, fosters a sense of awe and wonder. Um, the more we know about creation, the more we know about the God who made it. And the same can be said of, of all the other disciplines. The more we know about history, the more we can know about God. The more we know about literature, the more we can know about God. Um, and just all those, all those little, um, not little, big, <laughs> big bits of goodness draw us into worship ourselves, but also become opportunities for evangelization as we are um, becoming men and women who are for others and are for God. And really when we're talking about, again, the study of, of literature and of history and of science and of mathematics and all of these pieces, there, there's a reason this is a part of the initial scope of education. Because again, remembering that that the initial version of this, the reason Ignatius was doing this is he wanted people to be priests. And to be priests, they're gonna to need to be to study theology. To study theology, first, before you do theology, you have to do philosophy. Uh, again, this going back to the University of Paris, the Dominicans, where, where you have um, you know, you know, theology is the king of, of, of the sciences. So, and, but, but you need to have the philosophy before you have the theology to do it well. But you can't just start giving people philosophy. Um, it, it doesn't, you have to give them all of the other tools, all of the experiences, um, you know, they need to know what is human nature and how do you learn about human nature? You learn about it through studying history. You learn about it by reading literature are, are the two best ways to, to learn it. And you learn it by certainly by observing others. Um, but since you need to have all those building blocks and how do you learn about, you know, logic and the, the organized structure of systems and as a cohesive whole? Well, you do it by, by mathematics and you do it by, by science. And those are the, the, you know, those are the key pieces that are going back to that classical education. That's, you've got your trivium and your quadrivium going on there, your, your liberal arts, your humanities. Uh, so you've got your humanities and you've got your, your math and science piece. And we were doing all of that 
um, he and he he wanted people to do all of that as a predecessor to being able to do philosophy as a predecessor to being able to theology. So this is all part of this this structure. This isn't a, a three-year plan or a five-year plan to try and accomplish this. This is a, a 15 to 20-year plan of, of education of how do you get people to, you know, if I know I want to have priests um, who are going to be the kind of priests that I want to have at the age 25 or 28 or whatever it might be, well, how do I get them there? Well, I need to back it out. Well, I back it out my four to six years of theology. And again, if the church uh, has this, th this plan of education is still the basic plan of formation for priests to this day of you have their, their four to six years of theology, but um, preceded by at least two years of, of philosophy, maybe more. And, and ideally, um, hopefully, you know, people are heading off to, to philosophy, having all this other stuff. Now, unfortunately, in, in today's uh, day and age, that may not be the case a lot of the time that people may not have um, all of those pieces that they ideally have before going to study philosophy. But good news, Colby does. Um, and so, so we, we're gonna be providing you all of those pieces uh, in the K through 12 piece, so that um, well, for, for your young men who might be interested in discerning and heading off to, to, uh, to seminary so that they're ready to go for their philosophy and their theology. But the, I, I think the fascinating thing about Ignatius, again, he never intended to be a teaching order. That wasn't the goal. I mean, by the time he died, I think they had 30 schools um, in 1556, and they had several hundred schools um, you know, another 50 or 60 years later. So they exploded, and, and all those schools, those are not all schools for, for the formation of priests. Those are just straight-up schools. Everyone else said this is fantastic. How can we be a part of this? Um, because the, and especially, and so that the whole system of, of Jesuit education spreading across, um, across the West and then around the world comes out of this, well, I want to form my priests. And to form my priests, I need to have all of this other stuff first. And everybody else said, well, I think we should have those things too. Um, and so that's, that's what we're doing here at Colby. That, that's available for everyone. Um, and for those who, you know, especially the, the young men who might be headed off, um, and, and every year we have three, four, five, you know, young men who are headed off to seminary coming um, out, of, out of high school. And out of a graduating class of 160 to 180, that ratio of, of a couple percent, two to three percent, uh, you know, heading off to seminaries, if we had a, a number anything like that across the across educational systems, Catholic education in the United States, there wouldn't be a vocations crisis. You know, the, the, the seminaries would be stocked in full. So I think that that's part of that's a testament to one, the curriculum we have, but two, to the formation the parents are choosing to provide for their students in their home. Because simply having the curriculum isn't enough. Um, it, it's an important part uh, that, of it, but the, the core of it is coming from that human formation that we've been talking about, and that's happening there in the home. Um, and so I think that's one of the big pieces is, is however you're choosing to educate your children with Colby, you're doing some form of homeschooling, whether it's uh, what we would call traditional homeschooling, which is uh, kind of funny that we talk about that as, as something that's traditional now. Um, and, you know, looking back 20, 30 years ago when it was truly radical, right? Um, so you're doing anything that, or, or you're doing some form of you're using uh, recorded classes, you're doing some online classes, whatever you're doing, you're still making a decision to educate your children at home, perhaps, um, you know, delegating certain portions of it out. Uh, and so, you know, how do we do this? We have a great document uh, called an implementation of Ignatian education in the home. Uh, the document was written by Fran Crotty, again, one of the founders, as he was looking to make the, again, the radical step from, they founded this school back in 1980. And then there was starting to be a demand for, for Catholic homeschooling using this method there in the late 80s. He wrote this document on, well, how do you take this Ignatian education piece and what do you do with it in the home? And so there are a lot of um, there's foundational ideas about what is Ignatian education, but there's also lots of just tips and practicalities of, of what kinds of things would you do in your home as a part of this. Some of the, the things that we've talked about, the, the, the schedules, the method, uh, you know, building a library that's full of good books, um, all of those pieces. Um, and so uh, check out the, the show notes um, and we'll have some information about how you can get a copy of it for yourself. Fantastic. And like you said, Everett, you know, it's, and it, we all said, I think early on, you know, all of this at the end is, you know, reforming men and women for others and all doing it for the greater honor and glory of God. We're humans. We're, we're part of this world. We're, we're living amongst each other and, and helping each other to um, not only, you know, be a part of this world that God created for us, um, but doing, doing it for him, for his, for, for that end, right. Our ultimate end. I think you were, you talked about at the beginning Everett. So we're, you know, our, we're incarnational beings and working all things for the greater honor and glory of God. Absolutely. 
And I love how Everett said, just building a world around our families and our children that it lend itself to that, like having libraries, having books, having those baskets of books, even if they're not, you know, sitting there and the kids can just pick them up. And, and I, I love, I love doing that. <laughs> if parents are curious, looking to learn more about Ignatian spirituality, do you have some recommendations where to start with that rather than just typing that into a search box and seeing what happens? Uh, two pieces. So one, again, I mentioned, if you're interested in the document about implementation of Ignatian Education Home, check out the show notes. Uh, we'll have something set up for you so that everyone get a copy. Okay. The second piece is, uh, and again, a very classical answer, is go back to the source. Um, go read the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Um, the, it's, it's a fantastic read. Now, m- most of us who are very busy uh, parents, you know, we, with, with, you know, educating our children and, and, you know, possibly, you know, working other jobs and everything else going on. Uh, we may not have the time to take a 30-day retreat away from everybody in silence. Probably don't. Um, <laughs> however, there are multiple versions uh, that take those, that, those exercises and apply them to how do you do some of them in your daily life. Um, and so you can find some of those are available out there. But definitely read the spiritual exercises um, is, is, is the first thing that I'd say. It's, it's a great read. It's really good. The, again, the emphasis on on ends is fantastic. The emphasis on discernment is fantastic. There's a, the, it talks about the daily examine, which is kind of looking at uh, what have I done this day? Um, you know, was it good? Was it not good? And so it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a daily examination of conscience uh, uh, somewhat. The, just the whole thing is fantastic. And then the formation of the, the, the imagination and the memory are a key part of it. Boy, I walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> Primary sources, Bonnie, where have you been? resources that I found very helpful. Um, I believe both of them are published by the International Commission on the Apostolate of Jesuit Education, but uh, the two documents are the characteristics of Jesuit education and then the principles of Ignatian pedagogy. Um, And both of those documents, I think, do a a great job of kind of going back um, and looking at the history of uh, St. Ignatius himself and the formation of um, of the Jesuits and how, how that all plays out in a approach to education. All right. Well, thank you so much for this superb conversation, Elizabeth, Therese, Everett, Stephen. Thank you all so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Bonnie. It was a joy. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.